All right, everybody, we have arrived at what we uh, in the business refer to as the finale of Rinky Dinking 2020. At least we think uh, it's the, the final one. There's not much to talk about going forward, uh, but there's lots to talk about and unpack and parse, if you will, from what has transpired in a full calendar year of Stars Hockey culminating with, of course, the run to the Stanley Cup final in the bubble. Uh, I am yours truly, uh, Daryl Razor Ray. I don't think anybody refers to me as Daryl Ray ever. It's always Razor Ray. And uh, with me, as always, uh, senior writer for (laughs) DallasStars.com, the great Mike Heike, also uh, all over the map as far as uh, insider information on all of the platforms during the Stanley Cup playoffs. Mike, it's great to speak with you once again. Thank you. I'm getting more senior every day. Yeah, well, we'll have some senior moments during this podcast, I'm sure. And the man of the moment, really. And we have an entire section dedicated to Jeff Totes, Bubble Confidential, as Jeff Totes, who was up there and embedded with the team for the entirety of it uh, as a videographer, uh, digital guru, uh, is going to tell us all the stuff that went on behind the scenes. He's just going to unpack the entire bag of secrets for us. So we're really looking forward to that, Totesy. For sure. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, So, uh, you know, it's been a few days, obviously, since... Uh, the stars bowed out and in watching the celebration in the boat parades and everything else going on in Tampa, I was reminded again, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is someone else getting it. (laughs) That was the case of watching them just imbibe and celebrate. But at the same time, I'm thinking to myself, every, every team faces, adversity and they certainly face theirs through the years and mediocre teams are destroyed by it. Good teams survive it. Great teams get better because of it. And they got better and they were very worthy champions in the end. Uh, just a, a, a thought uh, from each of you on, on just the big picture of, of what we witnessed. And then we'll, we'll dive into some, some particulars. Well, you mentioned, you mentioned one at a boat. time, damn it. Sorry, sorry. <laughs> you mentioned the boat parade, and I was curious actually to see if Tampa was going to enact Mike's drive through petting zoo idea for their parade. <laughs> and they clearly went a different route, and I think, I think they made the right call. I believe they uh, violated some of the social distancing there, <laughs> Yeah. Where? Yeah. In the boat parade? No, it was the, that was the best answer to it. No, I get it. It just, I think, well, there were people all over the place. My guess is there were some uh, uh, Florida. Molecules. Did they even have COVID there? It's Florida. No, it's true. It's, true. Clean, it's as clean as it can be. The salt yeah. water takes it away, I think. It does. It does. Sea air gets rid of it. 
Uh, from my standpoint, I, I actually like the Tampa Bay Lightning. I know Stars fans will hate to hear this, but it is like your brother kind of winning it. They they went through adversity. I like their coach. I like a lot of the players on their team, and I like how they responded to everything. Um, you know, All right. Know. Well, there you go, Jeff. Uh, uh, <laughs> Totes, uh, we've heard it. Mike is a Tampa Bay Lightning fan. There you go. Wow. I'm, I'm moving Mike to Florida. Oh, my God. Like everyone else your age, you're going to go to Florida and retire, are you? <laughs> That's right. Give me a Cadillac. Uh, so, you, you know, I, I was thinking the same thing. And, and, look, I was so disappointed, and we'll get into it here, in in our little stars going through what they went through and getting that close and and then just the agony of it all. But I, I could not shake the image. I know he only played two and a half minutes, but – to me, everything about team and and the stars had their moments like this too, but that that shot down the bench when Stamco scored in, in his one game, his one period uh, of play in the playoffs against Stars was just it, it was everything, and it was on a loop. And I just kept watching it, and I'm like, man, that that is it. That that's how both those teams found themselves in the Stanley Cup final was was that amount of joy for each other's success and playing that hard for one another. And I remember before that game, we get that shot uh, in totes. You're in most of the shots, but we get the shot in the, in the hallways of the, the teams because before they come out for warm up. And, you know, you can compare every game because you get the same shot, same guys lining up because they all come out the same way. They they were giddy in that hallway before the game that Stamkos played. And it was never the same after, and it was never the same before. It was just that game. And then he he does that in the first period, scores a beautiful goal, perfect shot, and their their bench just explodes. There was there was anticipation and then they, they went gaga when he scored. And it was just like, man, that that's what that's what the Stanley Cup playoffs are all about. Now it it hurt our boys. But at the same time, I think with a little bit of distance, you look at it and you just go, man, that is, that's like miracle stuff. And uh, yeah, it was, that was the – forget about when they won in that and skating around with a cup, that, that hurts. I, I like the handshakes. I thought they were, they were phenomenal again. Um, I, I wish they'd do a better job of covering them uh, almost individually. But, you know, there's, they have to deal with what they have to deal with on television is – especially us from distance. But those are the two things that, that stuck out uh, for me uh, from the final, along with some of the other, <laughs> some of the other stuff, the pain and penalties and overtimes and all that. What about you guys? Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I, it's so funny. I, I never even thought about it, but like they're out there talking, right? It's in the middle of the rink. Why not be able to get a drop a mic in there or do something? to hear what people are saying to each other. I think that's part of the fascination of the story. Yeah. And the thing you, you mentioned about Stamkos, it just, it throws me back to Joe Neuendijk and, you know, him yeah. having to go have that yeah. knee surgery. And then just like, people don't understand how hard these people work just to chase this silver cup. I mean, it, it, it's everything to them. And they've done it since, since they were, you know, 10 or eight or whatever. Uh, but, but some of the situations like that, where you really, you push your body to the limits just to, to have a chance to say you're the champion. And, well, and it's it, a pretty cool thing. 
what wasn't it Carolina? What, didn't Brindamore could barely lift the cup above his head, right? Yeah. When they won. Yeah. I think he had, he had uh, a separated shoulder or something. He could barely lift the cup above his head. Like it's that stuff. And it was on the other side of things. It was that press conference with Jamie Ben, and it was it was you know most of the time everyone's uh, agonizing. Uh, with Jamie's in, inability to to be forthcoming in interviews and that, you know, he's careful and three word answers and that. That was just raw and real in that one. He he's like he, he, it was in in some ways it was it was perfect, but man, it was painful. It was just so painful to watch. I think uh, what, what he revealed is just how hard it is to get there. And how close it was for him, and I mean, like that's a process just to get there to have the chance. Yeah. And then when you don't get it, I think there's a certain realization that, uh, you know, this this may not come again. And I do think you have that moment uh, when you don't win it. Totsi, you had some. Yeah, that Jamie Presser is going to be kind of the bit that sticks with me at least thus far the most from all this. I was in the room for that, and what you didn't see obviously in that zoom shot is just four feet above Jamie's head is an like eight foot by eight foot, huge screen. It was made up of like 16 TVs together showing the lightning celebrating uh, on the ice. And they didn't turn off the TV for all the guys coming through for their post game. So just right above Jamie's head during all this, during his dead silence, um, his struggles to answer, you're seeing the lightning players skate around with the cup. And it was uh, just such a uh, distillation of, that journey and that agony and it's yeah that that's probably going to be the lasting image for me from all this it was yeah it was i it is it's the old you're too young but people that watched abc's wide world of sports back in the day man it was the thrill of victory and agony of defeat they started every saturday with it and the agony of defeat was always that poor ski jumper uh, it just wipes it out uh and everything else was all championships, right? And winners. And I remember uh, we're sitting there and we're listening uh, to some of the the, uh, the press conferences after, and and it's it's that way a lot. Uh, it just is. It seemed even w- more bizarre that it was in such a cavernous, empty arena, so that the celebrations probably stuck out even more than they normally would. Uh, after a, a game, but I, like I remember when the Oilers first won a Stanley Cup, so they they got beat the year before by the Islanders, and then they and then they won their first one in '84, and th- they thought when they lost to them the year before that when they went by the Islanders' room, it was just going to be jubilation and a party and everything else because they had to walk right past the room. And they were stunned, Gretzky and Messier and Kevin Lowe and Paul Coffey and all these legends. They walked by, and there, there was muted celebration, and it was just pain. They, they, every guy in there had ice bags on everything, and they were flat-out exhausted uh, from defeating that team. And it stuck with them afterwards that, that, that there's another level you got to go to in order to win. And watching Jamie, I had no idea that he had that around him. But you could hear, I think it was uh, Klingberg and, and Sagan were up there. And you could, you could hear the celebration going on. And I'm just like, man, 
that is tough. Sit there and try to organize your thoughts and and say something. Well, that is going on in your in your head and in your ears and and just down the corridor. Tough, brutal, brutal. Did we lose Mike? I'm here. Oh. I'm enjoying I'm enjoying what you're saying. Jesus, what was your high point? <laughs> That's the low point, obviously. Well, the low point. I don't know whether that was the low point or something else. I mean, game four of the finals, when they lose in overtime and the way they lost it, I guess, uh, is, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably low. as yeah. low as, as low as it got. Cause I mean, reality is there at, at, when that goal gets scored, it's just, it, it, you know, and again, it was impotent agony from the captain there. He's sitting in the box and there it is. And, and now you're down three to one. Uh, I can't think of any lower point than that one throughout their journey. Can you? Well, and then I think the the span of five minutes where they blew, I shouldn't blow. They didn't. They were unable to score on the right. four, four on three, and Tyler's breaking the stick, and you can see the frustration that he's had for not being able to score the goal that they needed him to score, and then you know the the penalty call, and it, it yeah, it was it was very frustrating. All right, well. How about the high points <laughs> as we <laughs> stop depressing everyone with this? Uh, what did you have as, as a high point as they moved along in the whatever nine weeks or whatever they were in the bubble? As a reporter and in the press box, you get trained to not respond. So for most of this stuff, even sitting on my couch, I'm just sitting there writing stuff on paper, typing stuff into Twitter, doing whatever, and, and I don't respond. But when Yoel Kiviranta yeah. scores yeah. the overtime winner for a hat trick, I'm just—I yep. was laughing. I, I mean, I couldn't stop laughing. I'm going, "This is the most ridiculous thing I've ever seen." <laughs> this kid comes off the bench to score a hat trick and an overtime winner in a game seven. It was just ridiculous. Yeah. Tosi, there's that one. I also got a lot of appreciation for Dennis Kurianov just spending time with him throughout our weeks in the bubble. And so the winner against Vegas in game five was just phenomenal and a really fun moment. Yeah. The great thing about both those goals is they were so clean. So and clean. we've talked many times about how most of Stanley cup playoff overtime goals are ugly. You know, they go off a shin pad and in, or it's a broken play. It's a office stick, whatever. But, those were two terrific goals. Yeah, mix that with the Radulov goal, pinging in off the post. Yeah, that was, yeah. That was incredible, too. I, For me, though, isn't it amazing? Like, for the Dallas Stars, if you think through to the three times that they've gone to the Stanley Cup final, the the highlights, and I'm not taking anything away from Hall's goal in, in Buffalo or uh, you know, Holland Madonna in game five in Jersey to get it to game six and any of those things. But the highlight of those runs was always game seven against Colorado. You know, they, they, they go that game seven in 99 at, at uh, American Airlines Center at Reunion Arena. It's epic. It'll never be topped, I don't think, as a sporting event around here. And then... The following year, they got to do it again. And again, it's a one-goal victory in Game 7. And both of those Western Conference Final, uh, the series against the Az wasn't, wasn't the Conference Final, but it felt like it. 
and you know they they were in danger of blowing a lead that nobody should ever blow and and they were up against a team that was decimated with injuries which in some ways was just foreshadowing for themselves heading to the Stanley Cup final and uh and again it's that that's the most memorable one is an overtime game 7 out of nowhere heroics from a pint-sized little fin and yeah that's i i i you're going to have a tough time topping that no question uh and the mental toughness of this group was impressive they 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 built more of it up during the run obviously because i mean they had lots of times where they could have just fell on their sword and shut it down and didn't and uh, a lot of that a lot of that, some of that was added and a lot of it was built up i i would think through the last couple of years being able to persevere through through some yucky stuff going on right yeah well and i also think that whether it was jamie or a group of people um the whole process of return to play and staying fit during the pause and seizing that opportunity. Um, and we, I, I hate to, you know, say other teams didn't do anything, but we, we saw other teams that, that didn't seem prepared. They didn't seem like this was a oh big deal. Oh my God. Yes. Good. And, teams. and yeah, good, really good. Very teams. like the best teams yeah. from the regular then, season that were just like, no, nah, we're not, this, this isn't us. We're not yeah, doing this. Yeah. We're not doing this. And, and then you see some of the stuff that Totsi sent back or you just, you know, hear stories about what Jamie did, and you're just like, whoa. I mean, these guys want this. They really see this as an opportunity, and they want this. And then, in my opinion, that sucked in the, the Joe Pavelskis and the Corey Perrys to say, this is a pretty good group. Um, you know, this is this is a pretty pretty good team to be a part of, and this is a great opportunity for every single person in this room. And, and it seems like that's what happened, that, that a Nick Comano or a – uh, Yoel, give you around to like they're like, hey, this is my opportunity too. This is our opportunity, but this is my opportunity, and it just seemed like all of that came together in that two months or whatever it was. Mm. Mm-hmm. But you, you were around them every day, Totsi. Like the the, the, the belief never seemed to waver with that group mentally, right? Never, never, and it just yeah, yeah it, it was crazy how throughout those weeks it just galvanized even more and no matter the series, the score, anything, it was just, and it never got too high or too low. Like we saw throughout, I guess this whole year with everything, but it was just, they knew their cruising altitude and they're yeah. pretty inevitable. Yeah. Which was their bugaboo in past. I mean, they, they, this, this was a group, you know, you go back three years, this was a group that they'd win a game and they think they'd won the cup <laughs> Win two or three in a row. And Oh my God, order the rings. And then they'd, and then they'd lose a few games and then they'd get situationally motivated and then win a game again. And this felt way, way uh, different than that. So, uh, I mean, so many positives. It's, it's when you start running through them all, it's hard to believe they didn't come home with the chalice, but, uh, and, and then the other thing that, that stuck out for me and nobody really cares about this, I'm sure, but th- they filled a record books a record book worth of records on their run through this thing. Like it was insane. I, I want the final tabulation of the number of, of franchise or NHL records that they tied or set during that the stretch in the bubble. I mean, it started in game one, right? 
against Calgary, they scored nine seconds apart. I think it was the two rushing. Yeah. And then it was like, it, it honestly felt like every single game, something happened that was like, yeah, no, you know, he's the first to do this. Whether it was Joe Pavelski at 36 setting records or it was Yoel Kiviranta, you know, tying Maurice Rocket Richard. <laughs> like it was, it was nuts how it went on. Hey, what's so funny is you look back at all the, you know, you start saying, okay, 1967, and you're like, well, certainly this has happened before. No. No, uh, I know. Miro Haskinen is the all-time leader at 21 in defenseman scoring. Uh, he was uh, the all-time leader in, in uh, assistant. Like, so you're saying Zuby didn't do that? No, no, he didn't. It was Miro. Yeah. He got the record. Yeah. I mean, it was just – it was – it was it was crazy, and uh, you know they earned so much of it, and some of it was obviously inflated by a different, uh, you know, just a completely different playoff than we've ever uh, seen before. But um, man, oh man, it was incredible. And there was because the games were happening every two days, you really didn't have time to to spend much time on an accolade like that because, you, oh, yeah, that was great. But then move on to the next one. Oh, there's two more. It was, it was phenomenal, just phenomenal. And then uh, MVP uh, for the Stars, uh, I mean, there were guys that were mentioned. If they'd have won it, would have uh, taken home the Conn Smythe as, as playoff MVP. And is great. Hey, Hudobin was was sensational. Uh, you know, Joe Pavelski with his heroic scoring and what have you. I have, I have trouble uh, differentiating between Klingberg and Haskinen as to who I, I thought was more valuable in the end uh, through the entirety of it. I almost want to com- combine them. Klingenen. Yeah, they took turns, I think. And, and so you're right. I mean, you know, I think uh, Mira was clearly the, the leader early on. And if you you know if you don't get through the Calgary series and you don't you know have all this other stuff, uh, so his importance was was key there. And then I think Klinger just stepped it up and he was fantastic. Well, I mean the the, the main ingredient in the engine for what they did was their defense core. Yeah, which were just it was just different than what it was in the regular season. And we've talked many times here on Rinky Dinking about how Rick Bonus deserves, uh, he and his staff deserve the credit uh, for implementing, you know, this this change in style or focus, or whatever you want to call it. But man, did it pay off! And so, you know, goaltender, yes, some goal scoring, yes, but you you really have to look at somebody or or guys from that group as to why they did what they did. I mean, they, they don't do that without uh, the performances of really all of them. I mean, they needed all the, they needed the depth. I know the, the guys in the top four get most of the, the credit. I mean, Jamie Alexiak scored five goals. Amazing. <laughs> he scored five goals. Like he and Miro scored 10 combined for 10 goals. It was just it was inc- it was incredible. So I, I'm I'm there with you. I, I think I think a combo MVP would be the best thing to to come out of it. And then the I guess their 
the the final disappointment of this thing for me is tri- is, is trifold, if you will. The obviously the hockey team, uh, the heartbreak of of losing in the final and fin- finishing just two wins short of of winning the cup. Uh, the other would be fans got left on the curb for the greatest run in 20 years because of this virus. Uh, you know, they had to watch and and do it from a distance and instead of be there in person. That was painful. And then the Stars business side, missing out on, I think it was, it's been stated, like 25 to $30 million windfall. Yeah. Uh, when, you, yeah. when you're, yeah, when your team has that kind of success in, in the postseason. And I, I can't help but feel for everyone. Tom Gillardi, the, the owner, uh, you know, everybody on the on the business side from marketing to merchandise. Can you imagine the merchandise they would have peddled during this thing? I mean, uh, the Metroplex would have been green. It would have been just painted in green. And someday the business side and the hockey departments are going to marry up again. Because <laughs> it just seems like it seems like when the business side is doing their thing and they've done miraculous stuff on that side and filling American Airlines Center and bringing in sponsorship and everything else, with the team being, you know, mediocre to to just above that, and then they hit the gas and do what they did in Edmonton and the business, I can't hold hands with them and reap the benefit of that. So then it's the hockey side that gets uh, all the accolades and deserve it. But at at some point you got to get them both working together. And maybe that some point is next year or the year after the next three to five years. Their position for, you know, what's interesting about all this is like, we always sit there and say, you know, what if, what if, what if, what if this would have just been a regular season to build on the success of the Winter Classic and the draft before that? Now you're bringing the entire NHL to the city of Dallas. Yeah, I know. You're just like, whoa. Like, this would have been the perfect window to turn the Stars into one of the top, what, five, eight teams in the NHL? Oh. Where now your logo is the one that NHL Network is using every preview. And, yeah. you know, you're the team that everybody says, oh, yeah, look at that victory green. That's the Stars. Everybody knows yeah. who they are. So it would have been great to build on to build on the success of that Winter Classic and bring the league to the city would have been really cool. Yeah, that's a, that's a good point. I, I I forgot to even stretch back to the draft, which was just, uh, two summers ago, right? Yeah, and and that so, was a big deal. I mean, the, yeah, you talk to people in the league and they don't know anything about Dallas. Well, now they do. Now they well, know. and they're never. It's it's like anything. You're you're never in a city at that time of year. It's like going to right. Buffalo in the summer. It's like, dude, this is a pretty nice place. Yeah, when there isn't 11 feet of snow and it's <laughs> minus 20. Um, but yeah, I mean, if you so you start with the draft, and then you go. You go draft, and then you go winter classic. Then you go Stanley Cup final. And then there, there was some hubbub that the stars were at least being considered. When they, remember, they were still going to go to China at, at some yeah. point. Uh, they were going to go overseas. And I'm sure down the road they'll go overseas. I don't think it's going to be China anymore. Uh, not, after, <laughs> not after this. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but, uh, yeah, I mean, they're uh, – 
man, that, that, that's a run where you look at the Stars franchise differently than you did three years ago. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah, and, and I think Brad Alberts deserves a lot of credit for that, and everybody within the you know management office and, and everything they've done. It, it really is impressive. Yeah, it is. All right, let's move on to Jeff Totes' bubble confidential. <laughs> okay, Totesy, uh, you don't have to protect anybody anymore. You can just lay it all out now. Can't I can't report on any injuries yet. We haven't done exit interviews, so. Well, no, no, that's <laughs> what this that's what this whole section was for. Oh, this is where we <laughs> finally reveal that. Yeah, you just tell us all the injuries that guys were playing with. Go ahead, and three, this is two, a big one, go. Big break for Rinky Dinking getting to scoop this. Yes, that's what we're all about. Uh, no, I know you can't. I wish before you get get started. I wish we had that information right now because I, I think one of the greatest things about our sport in the playoffs is how hard guys play and what they play through and when it gets revealed after what a guy was playing like Mike Madonna had a broken wrist in 99 you know it's just one example from way back when but there's there's lots of it um and and hey look I was thinking this the other day maybe the home opener a year ago in the regular season was a harbinger of what they were going to get clocked with when it mattered the most injuries they lost three guys in that opener, remember, against Boston. Uh, President Bush dropped the puck, and then by the end of the first period, I think they had three guys out of the lineup and and scrambled after. It was a Como, Dickinson, and Roman Pollock? Right yeah, that's right. Yeah. Boards, I think. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, so now we get into the Stanley Cup final, and what, did, what were they missing, Six six guys in – in the finale of it, um, and who knows what other guys were trying to play through and and squeeze the most out of everybody. It's an amazing thing. I, I know there, there's more of a push for guys not to do what they used to do, and it makes more sense <laughs> for their long-term uh, health. Uh, but at the same time, man, guys, you tell a guy you can't dress tonight because of that, and they'll say, yeah, I can Give me something to soothe the pain, and here we go. So, uh, another time. Anyway, Totsi, uh, you have the floor. Tell us, what, <laughs> tell us, tell us some stuff from the bubble. Well, still kind of obvious, obviously, still processing a bit. What's cool about my role is I, I have a literal digital archive of every day within the bubble from my perspective. So, I've started the early stages of going back. I'm watching the last few days in July start of August. And the one thing I wish I had done, and it kind of ties into you talking about injuries. I wish on day one in Edmonton, we had sat down each guy and taken a portrait just of their face. And then on the last day, same Mm. photo and put them side by side. Because looking at this photo, at this footage, everyone rolled into Edmonton, July 26th, suntanned, fresh faced, excited. (laughs) And the group, the group that left, they looked like zombies. Was just a pale, battle-hardened, bearded, uh, sporting new scars group, and it's the comparison is awesome. And I'm, I think I'm, I'm beginning the stages of assembling kind of this full-length edit about it, and you'll see that transition happen over the 66 days. So I wish we had done side-by-side pictures because it would be a bit striking. Yeah. 
Well, next time. Next time for sure. Next time for sure. It's, next uh, time you're sequestered for three months, you do that. It is fun to begin the process of sorting this footage and sort of relive it in a sense and assemble the story because you like you had no idea when filming certain things in the round robin and even an exhibition game what this would become. So it's uh, it's really cool. I'm definitely fortunate to have all this footage basically as a journal of it. When is that coming out, do you think? Uh, we're still in the early stages of figuring out what it'll look like, whether it's a TV special or just like a Star's online release. Uh, but it, I would say it's like a month out right now. Okay. All right. Not, hey, it'll be a- um, so I, I'm curious about this. Take, take me through the next day. You guys stayed overnight, right? Yeah. And did you hear? did you hear Tampa at all or not? No, I think okay. you know, I think they went offside a little bit. Good celebration. So, so the next morning, you guys did you leave in the morning or the afternoon? Yeah, the bus was out at 10 a.m. That okay. So, I mean, we've been through that many times in just regular road trips. Just take us through what that was like. Yeah, leaving that's there, that's- and then what it was like. What it was like touching down back here um, in the real world again. Yeah, so actually, obviously the post-game, that night after game six, the press conferences, all that, very just ultimate anguish, very striking, memorable. But the next day, that travel day is kind of was equally memorable in terms of different emotions. Like I've told other people, it felt like the last day of summer camp where everyone's rolling down with their bags, eating breakfast. Some guys who were Canadian stayed there and traveled to their home cities. So guys are kind of trickling out, saying their goodbyes, hugging. Guys are kind of talking about when they can get together to golf. It was pretty somber, actually. And then yeah. bus to the airport, flight home, landing in Dallas, bunch of fans out there at Love Field. Really cool. I think the guys loved seeing that. It was awesome. Got off the plane probably, I don't know, a couple, couple hundred, maybe 200 people. And it, it was awesome. Hmm. Well, guys, saying. I will say, like, saying those final goodbyes at the airport, um, everyone kind of getting off the plane, gathering their bags, that was like, you know, this group of 51 will never be together again. It was just right. it was a bit somber. Yeah. But you're also yeah. very cool happy to, be to not part of it. see them every day. It's, it's also cool <laughs> to know that you're not having to see them every day for the next two months. So it's what did it, bittersweet. What, well, honest to God, though, like, what did it feel like leaving the bubble? Amazing. Like, kind of fake. And then the next day, like, being here in Dallas and going for a walk, um, all that is just is crazy. And was yeah, it a little bit well, surreal after that much time of just, you know, basically being in a gerbil cage? Yeah, for sure. And then, like, going through the Edmonton airport, because we had to go in and go through customs and just seeing, like, your first different people in <laughs> two months. Because, honestly, the, the bubble... The bubble became like uh, it was like the town from The Simpsons or something, where you see the exact same people every day doing the same thing. It's like you get coffee from the same person, all, all oh that, God. and it was so repetitive and familiar. And so just seeing any new face was like that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, I, I saw some of the video from uh, you guys disembarking here and those fans, which was awesome. Awesome. But but the, I also saw the video of Tampa landing and, uh, you know, little kids 
running out to to daddy and and some of the girlfriends who hadn't seen their boyfriends or husbands and in a couple months and man man there was there was some hey it's great to see you moments on the tarmac yeah, uh, yeah. we had those two actually we so a lot of us parked up at the office in Frisco there. Right, so it seemed like yeah, yeah, the bus left there, right? Um, so then, like the whole the whole bonus family contingent was waiting there, and that was a really sweet little yeah. moment and reunion. Um, but by the time we uh, last little bit, by the time we land, bus out to Frisco in rush hour, I get to my car. My car's dead. Battery's completely dead. Can't be jumped. Um, <laughs> it's stuck there. And I, at that point, it's like 6 p.m. I just want to get home. I just Uber home, leave my car in Frisco. I just got it yesterday. It sat there for a week, so I had to get a new new battery, all that. It was, uh, it was like the yeah, ultimate. Yeah, it's a little, it's a little so tougher when people don't just bring your meal to you, like in the bubble, isn't it, Toshi? I'm learning. Huh? I'm, I'm learning how life is yeah, outside the of the world. bubble. It's a struggle. Man, oh, man. Well, you you got freedom now. And we look forward to seeing that, what you put together. You put together some amazing stuff that we were able to consume just in real time. It's, it went along, but to see a, an actual compendium of the entirety of it is going to be uh, nothing sh- short of sensational. You might even win an award or something for it, you know? That's the goal. That's the you gotta, goal. you got to try to back up the the uh, Emmy that you won. Got you know, the trophy a, as another, uh, you wouldn't understand this, Mike, uh, if you could just bear with us for a second. Uh, as I speak, Emmy winner to Emmy winner, uh, that I've said for a long time, the 11th one is the toughest to win. And then uh, I proved that here this spring. So, or this fall. Congrats, bringing home yeah. the 11th. That's crazy. Yeah. Anyway, Mike, uh, we'll bring you back into the conversation. Well, thank you for so, that. So what now? <laughs> There's no no idea when we'll be able to be at American Airlines Center to watch the Western Conference banner uh, get raised. Your best guess would be what? I don't know. I mean, I keep reading and hearing all this stuff. I know Gary wants it to get going again. I mean, I think they'd like January 1 uh, just as a date that they can. I don't they're not going to have a winter classic, but they can kind of say, hey, this is what we've done in the past and draw on those memories and get things rolling again, but the COVID, want. maybe they'll have the COVID classic to start things <laughs> off. Indeed. The owners want fans in the building and I don't yeah. know how you do that. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the watching parties, you know, gave you a template for having 4,000 well, people in the building or they what? They do, but the, there's, therein lies the problem. Like if we could have all the teams just play in Texas, then I would say by January one, they're going to play hockey. Right. But you can't travel to Canada, and they won't allow people in the building in California. And you know, same thing on the other coast. And so it's it's a it's a wait and see. This is my feeling. There's no way they're going to play 82 games next season. Yeah. No. I mean, we we've done it in past where they've played 48 games and everyone's fine with that, and they call it a season and. They handed out a Stanley Cup. I'm not saying it's going to be that short, but I think it's going to be a truncated season whenever they do start. And uh, when that is, is anybody's guess, but 
we've talked about this before, the, the fact that some of the, seven of these teams haven't played since March. So, uh, you know, you start getting into – you might go a calendar year without them playing a hockey game. Yeah, you're right. Well, you know, the other thing might, that's interesting they, is how much are you paying the players? You know, if you're paying well, that's, them – That's something they'll have to work out. You're right. Because if you if you pay them what they are supposed to be paid – each team is losing what twenty, thirty million dollars because you can't have bodies in the building. So you know it just doesn't make financial well, sense they, to try and do. Well, here's here's my feeling, and maybe I'm I'm uh, Peter positive here, but they they came together, the PA and the NHL came together to make sure that they could do what they just pulled off in Edmonton, and it probably cost the NHL I don't know, well over a hundred million dollars, maybe close to two. And they they did it. Uh, everybody had to sacrifice on their side in order to, to conclude the season. Now, in order to start the next one and move forward, they're going to have to compromise again. They're, mm. they're just going to have to. The, I mean, players can't just sit there and all of a sudden say, well, look, I want all my money. And they're well, like, well, the you, can have, you can have all your money. You can have all your money this year. And then in years three, four, and five of your contract, we'll give you a hundred percent of zero because there won't be any hockey. Like I, I you know get I mean? all that, but but they just basically played this tournament for their playoff money, which is you know I, they may have gotten their last paycheck. I don't know exactly how it's structured out, uh, but their paychecks ended, you know, in April. So that player cost, I don't think, was a huge part of running this bubble and player cost to me is, I, I don't know all the, yeah, but they all, but, yeah, but they, all of them got paid. That's the thing. Like even the black aces got paid, like agreed, but not at the level. Like I don't, whatever Tyler Sagan makes at 9 million or 13 million or whatever, he had already gotten that paycheck for what they did during the regular season. And in that regard, you can look at it and say, well, you already got your money. So you owe us this time but going forward, so, again, and, and, you know, I think you have to look at a budget over two or three years, not just this season. But if you look at this season, if you start paying the players their paycheck, which I don't think they were doing during the playoffs. No. Then now all of a sudden the financial structure of, well, okay, it's 4000 in the building. What about 8000 What about zero? So yeah. what does that do to your budget? If you're looking at this and laying it out to the owners and saying, okay, we want to start and have a 48-game schedule, but you can't have anybody in the building. Yeah. Like, if I'm an owner, I'm going like, yeah, no, I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't yeah. want to have that season. <laughs> yeah, but I agree. But then the other, the other side of that is the cataclysm uh, aspect of it, too, where you do have to have your, your league move forward. Uh, and, and the other thing is I would think broadcast – which is very important is going to, they, they want content. Yeah. Like you, they, they need content. So they, they need you to play. You got, they'll find some way to play. Uh, it'll be, it'll be shortened. And I'm with you. Like the, they, they, we need, look, they did what they did. We need fans. The, the reason for this is, is fans. And, we need them back in our building and what capacity that is. I don't know. I'm sure it'll probably grow throughout the, the whatever, whatever they decide on. 
as a season, and uh, and that's how they'll they'll do it. But there's gonna have there's gonna have to be give and and take from both sides. Yeah, and and I will say this: I'm very encouraged by the the CBA and and everything that they've done yeah. throughout yeah. this. Whatever they have to do to make it work, both sides will do it. Yeah. So the so the business side of it, they're they're gonna figure that out from the NHL level. The draft is tonight. <laughs> As we as we speak, I'll be honest with you. I'll be perfectly honest with you. I swore it was this weekend, like this coming weekend. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden it was like, oh, yeah, first round of the NHL draft Tuesday night at uh, 7 Eastern. I was like, what? And it's like, obviously, they don't want to draft straight up against the college football NFL. But it just seemed to come out of nowhere that there's a, an NHL draft tonight. And then with that free agency, and then also on top of that, if they're not going to play until the spring, uh, what do you do with your prospects? Because if the NHL isn't playing, the American Hockey League's not playing, the East Coast Hockey League's not playing. So, I mean, there's only so many spots in Europe. Man, what a headache. Eh? I, I wonder if they do, they hold their own little mini camps. And- yeah. Yeah, and try and do some of the things that the Black Aces were doing up at Edmonton and and just try and keep them as fresh as you can. Yeah. Man, I should have went into the COVID testing business, though. <laughs> I'd be a gazillionaire right now. Test everyone. You are a gazillionaire. Uh, yeah. No. No, no, no. <laughs> uh, I looked this up. This isn't a happy Joy Joy uh, story, but just to move on from what we just witnessed. Teams to lose in a final and then win it all the next year. Do you know the history of that? Uh, I, I know a few of the, the great histories, but um, I what also would be know. Your, what would be your best guess on how many teams have done that? How many? Well, I mean, I think you go back to, although those were, some of these were in the Eastern Conference Finals or Western Conference Finals. You may be right. It may be very, You're very stalling. Fun. You're I am just calling. I'm trying. Well, you can pull us out of nowhere. Now I have to search my mental role. Well, I know. This, this is how I uh, keep my thumb on you, and I sound <laughs> more intelligent, is that I do the research, I come up with the questions, and then I just pose the question as yeah, if I don't even know. Nothing. No. <laughs> uh, I'm going to say the 1954 Red Wings. Last thing you do it. I don't even. What? You I'm just joking. I was trying to be funny. Oh, you're being facetious now. <laughs> That's oh. right. <laughs> Sorry, uh, Totsi, what do you think? How many? Do you think it's a lot? Not very many? Ever? Uh, I'm guessing not very many. So let's say three. Three teams ever. Hmm. You're, you're closer than you probably thought when you blurted that out. Yep. <laughs> so the last team to do that. If I said Marion Hosa to you, would that ring a bell? Senators? I'm oh my God! My I'm you are, is this is this comedy hour with Mike? It is. It's pretty funny, isn't it? Hockey comedy. No, don't you remember when uh, '08 and '09 with Pittsburgh and and your Red Wings? Maybe they were involved in things, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but the. Uh, uh, Pittsburgh, they uh, lost in 08 in the final, and then they won in 09. Yeah. So that that was uh, the most recent time. Uh, prior to that, 
you got to go all the way back to what I just talked about earlier, if you were following along and listening along. 1983-1984. Edmonton Oilers bowed out to the Islanders in 83, and then they won it the following year. Now, those are the those are the two that make the most sense. I don't know what to make of the the 68-69-70 St. Louis Blues. Because uh, those those were the expansion years because they they only had to get through the other expansion. Years. Right. Well, they lost in the final three years in a row. <laughs> right. Well, <laughs> but that, that but was yeah yeah it was, and I think they got swept all four all three years. Yeah. Uh, they, 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 they were, had to beat the expansion team yeah. to get to go play the Canadians or whoever it was. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, uh, so really, isn't that amazing? Like, I, I would have thought, like you, that it it happened maybe I, I don't know half a dozen times. Yeah. Well, and I think what we've got is like I think the Devils back in the day lost to the Rangers or vice versa. Then you know that team went on and won, and the Stars lost in the Western Conference Finals. And that team went on and won. And, you know, so they, they got close, but they just didn't lose in the final. Yeah. Isn't it? I mean, league's been around for a long time. This <laughs> yeah. only happened those two times. Yeah. It's Crosby's it Penguins and Gretzky's yeah. Oilers, and that's it. It's it's, an, it's a great stat uh, because you really would have thought that. I mean, yeah. you, look at, you look at the hardship and then, that oh, that hardened them and that made them the champions the next year or whatever, but. Uh, yeah, hmm. way more teams have have won back to back than teams to have been bridesmaid and then won the following year, which and is uh, that's a nutty one to me. Well, my other fear is that you know you saw the the Oilers or you saw the Flames or you saw teams like that who got there and then never got close again um, of more recent vintage, uh, and you worry about it, are the Stars that team that they got there and now how how do you get back? And, but and, yeah. But maybe maybe the just the the bizarre nature of this one will make it uh, easier because it'll be two very different Stanley Cup playoffs back to back. Yeah, how about that? It, and 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 the the balance of the schedule. Like I mean, I think you. I don't know whether that was from. You know, they'd been there and, and they didn't want to deal with it. But you look at the the Bruins and you look at the Blues and. Um, you know, you yeah. worry that, that, you know, they didn't have the want to. Um, I definitely think whenever the stars get playing again, they're going to have the want to. Yeah. Agreed. The, uh, but the draft is the, is the big thing now. Who are the stars pick at 30? Yep. 30. Do you know how many times the stars have picked 30th overall? They were right in that window, weren't they? Um, five. Totes? Four. Podcast listeners, all right, everybody's buzzed in. This franchise has chosen at number 30 only once. Ah. 1986, they took Neil Wilkinson, a defenseman from Selkirk. That was the year that Joe Murphy went first overall. Um and that Joe Murphy story is a tough one to digest nowadays as it's been well documented. He's homeless and has dealt with substance abuse and everything and that nuts with him. But uh, Wilkinson, that era, 
Man, if you were a big physical defenseman, they everyone was in love with you. There were tons of them taken in those years. That was the Warren Warren Babe went number one, uh, or went in the first round to the North Stars, and then Neil Wilkinson was their second pick at thirty. Isn't that crazy? They've only chosen 30th one. Well, I guess if you go back to it, I mean, technically, you know, there weren't 30 teams for a long time. Uh, although, you know, I guess yeah, there were 30 in the second round. Yeah, but come on. It still goes, <laughs> it still goes up by numerical yeah. order there, Michael. <laughs> that is weird. That is very odd. You know, I would have uh, thought that, you know, in a couple of those years that, you know, because they were near the back of the draft, it seems like they've drafted 29th. Oh, there's on, hey, on look. Several occasions. You go through the years. There's lots of uh, late twenties, early thirties, but never right. thirty on the button, and, and a lot of picking fortieth, yeah. but not thirty. And here I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna do some foreshadowing here. They may not pick thirty this time. Hey hey, inside information from Mike. Whoa. Micah. What if they traded that down for a couple of second rounders? Oh, do that. Yeah, yeah. of course. That was a Doug Armstrong uh, play. He did yeah, it was seven more times. picks. He <laughs> more take more swings. Good. You want the Razor Boy draft story? Sure. Uh, story time. It. Well, it's not really much of a story. It's just memory lane. Uh, but I, I always think back on draft day to 1984. Uh, and maybe it's kind of back to the future this year since nobody's going to be at the draft. Uh, back then, the draft was held in Montreal at the Forum. Every year, they didn't move it around. And unless you were going in the top, like, 20 or 15, your agent didn't bring you in. But you just – it wasn't like now where every kid, it seems like, that's eligible is in a suit with his family in the stands. So uh, the Oilers took Selmar Odeline with their first pick, and then they took one Daryl Ray with their second pick in 1984. And we were owned, I was in Kamloops, we were actually owned by the Edmonton Oilers. And uh, I, the, the draft was on TV that morning. I knew I wasn't going in the first round. And then just before they went to the second round, uh, they might have made, I don't think they made one pick. I think the first round was it. And then they just went off to some hunting show or something. <laughs> on television in Canada. And I was like, all right, well, I'm going to move on with the rest of my day. And that was about it. There, there was no information. There, obviously, there was no internet, no way to follow it. And all of a sudden, the phone rang. And I get a phone call. And a, a gentleman that worked for us, he was like the liaison between the Edmonton Oilers and the Kamloops Junior Oilers. And he was on the phone. He says, hey, I've, I've got someone that wants to speak to you and it was slats and very quick conversation. Yeah. We just chose you looking forward and blah, blah, blah. And you're kind of stunned. And, uh, and that was it. And I had a few friends uh, from my uh, minor hockey days and that come over. And that was the big, <laughs> that was the big celebration. So sometimes I hear, especially uh, like American kids that, weren't really as into the NHL and NHL draft. And you hear these stories of how they didn't even know they got drafted. Uh, and then they're told like uh, weeks later, or something like that. Like it was just such a bizarre business back then. 
as opposed to now where, my God, you go in the fifth round and you come down to the table and they do a video documentary on you and close to a 30 for 30 and uh, they have your whole history and your bio and your family's there and they're crying and everything else. Back then it was basically just, yeah, we own you now. We'll see you at camp. <laughs> so only and if we had a totes back then, he could have documented all of your emotions. Oh, exactly. I needed to hire sure. my own little Jeff Totes. <laughs> but it was film on film. It was, such a weird, it was such a weird thing, though, because we went to the Memorial Cup, and which is like the Canadian version of the Final Four and NCAA. And uh, on the way back, as as our our treat from the Oilers, they flew us in. Uh, to Edmonton and we stayed overnight and we were there for game five, which was their first Stanley cup. So we went to the game, went down to the room, pictures with the cup, everything else down there. Uh, saw uh, that championship victory. And then a matter of like weeks later, uh, I'm an Edmonton Oiler. So, and then a few months after that, I'm in training camp with those guys that just won the cup. It was, it just seemed surreal to me that I was even there. And and then you look back and I, I think of this when I see young Jake Ottinger, uh, who has what, thirty three and thirty four year olds in net in front of him. Yep. Uh and I, I get drafted by the Oilers and, and Grant Fear was twenty one. <laughs> he was he was Miro and uh, Andy Moog was twenty three and they were both all stars. So it was like, yeah, hey, welcome to the organization. You'll never play. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah. I think it's fascinating, to you, because, you know, you see these kids and you talk to them, but you don't have, you know, somebody you know, and, and I know how hard you work and everything. And I can't, I can't imagine what it was like to just go into training camp and just start facing shots from Gretzky and Messier and Coffey and Gary oh, Curry and – the first day of training camp, like back then you went in, they, they gave you no documentation as to how to train. They basically just gave you your, your travel information to come to camp. And that was it. So, I mean, you, you had no idea how to, how to train. There, there were no uh, fitness guys. or I mean, they had some guy, I think Howie Wenger was his name, from the University of Alberta that had something that he put together, but I don't think we were privy to that. That was just for the actual players on the Oilers. So you got there and we did all the test testing in the morning before you went on the ice. So you did all the testing, like the bike test, VO2, the, the lactic acid test, the sit-up test, like all of them. And then you had like half an hour to dress and, and then go on the ice. And my legs were still shaking from the bike and I got out there and then I, I remembered I'm just, I'm in net and I'm just like, Oh my God. Like I, I was looking at who was shooting, not the puck. And it was just like, Oh Jesus, that's Messier. Jeez, another one goes in past me. <laughs> so after the morning, after the morning session, Slats comes up to me in, in Glenn Sather and he's like, you look nervous. Out there. <laughs> just like, I look nervous. I, I was shaking so much. I could see my, uh, my mask in front of me, I could see the bars just moving back and forth as all this was going on. And, um, you know, and that morning we, we practiced and then we scrimmaged and yet they were two days back then. And in the first scrimmage, Jeff Brubaker, who was brought into camp basically just as a sparring partner for Dave Semenko 
and they would do it all the time. Like your tough guys didn't just have the job. Like they brought in guys to fight them in camp. They fought three times in the morning, first morning session, three times. And it was like, holy crap, where am I? Like here, here you are. Everything's flying around. These two monsters are fighting each other right in front of me. Uh, the general manager thinks I'm nervous. I was crappy. Everything was going in. And then you had a couple hours off, and then you put your wet gear on. You went back at it again that afternoon. Like It's, it's crazy when you think of, of now where they can only be in camp for three and a half hours. They can only be there for like three and a half hours. We were on the ice in the first session for three and a half hours, it felt like. <laughs> anyway, different time. Long time ago, Mike. Indeed, and I think it made you who you are today. Well, and, you know, Totsi talks about how tough the bubble was. Yeah, well, who's the warrior after hearing that story, huh? <laughs> I don't know. The bubble was tough. <laughs> <laughs> I know. In every, in every way. Uh, so we're going to need a new hashtag, right? Is it October yet? Well, it is October, but it doesn't mean anything this year, right? <laughs> so what are we going with? Is it February? Is it March? <laughs> Is it 2021? Yeah, well, yeah, unfortunately, 2021 is just going to be a number. I don't know that it's going to change all. No, it'll, it'll change everything. Midnight. Oh, it will? We're good. Yep. Yep. Clock, clock changes. Oh, that's, we're good. Oh, that's Leave awesome. it behind us. Yeah. Looking so forward January to So January 1st, you're announcing uh, COVID and everything else over, and we just move everything. on. Done. Yep. It'll be wow. great. I can get behind that plan. <laughs> I'm with it. Uh, instead of Razor Sinatra or Sid Vicious and singing, and now the end is near, <laughs> and I must face the final curtain. Do you want to sing along with me? Uh, my I friends, I'll say it clear. I'll state my case in which Totes is certain. He's lived a life that's fall, I traveled each and every highway, but more, much more than this. I did it my way. Go ahead. You take the second verse, Totes. I don't know this one. Oh, God. Oh. He, he was uh, a little young, I think. Well, he was. I'm not going to sing anymore. You got anything else you want to add? This is usually when you uh, elongate this thing, Mike. <laughs> Actually, had some, but I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna quietly bow. Out. <laughs> Come on! <laughs> of course, I he did. did. I did. You, you want something? Here's I don't know. Ask him. Go over and buy coats. Let's hear what you got. That's right. It says, yeah, for sure. What if Pavelski doesn't score? Like we always talk about sliding doors and how much it affects. And what if you're down three-one to Calgary and you can't recover from that? Like we never hear of Yoel Kiviranta. We, we, you know, Joe Hanley doesn't get his chance. Rick Bonus might not be the coach. Like it's just interesting to look back at all these little moments and how all this has to come together and try and say, okay, that one moment where he scores to force overtime and then they go on to win, obviously, uh, just changes everything. Which is, I guess, life. I mean, you know, hey, you step off a curb a half second early, you get hit by a bus. You know, so it's that's, that's true. Hard. That's, way to bring was, us back that down. That was my yeah. important. That was my yeah, important. I'm glad. I'm but glad I'm you brought saying, that up. 
so Pavelski scores that goal, which, you know, then he goes and gets his hat trick, which is the first hat trick any North Stars player, uh, Dallas player, scored in a playoff game, which leads to two more hat tricks. <laughs> it's just, I don't know, it was just like you start dissecting all this, and it really is interesting how life happens. Life does happen. And I'm reminded, Mike, maybe we can end on this unless you've got some other. No, no, I'm done now. I, I just thought I needed to hear that. I like that. Uh, the, it's a reminder, though, Mike, that, that the streets aren't made for everyone. That, that's why they made sidewalks and curbs, so that you can, you can either walk down the sidewalk and give way to the, those who demand and command the street, or you can sit on the curb and clap as the parade goes by. Get silence. Mike Heike, Jeff Coates. I, I, I love it. This has been a wonderful journey that we've been on this year, the three of us. Various locales. We used to do this face-to-face. We adjusted with the times. We'll continue to do that into the future if anybody cares to listen to us in our uh, drivel, rantings, and inside information. I think the star of the Stanley Cup 2020 bubble rinky-dinking podcast has no doubt been Jeff Totes uh, and our inside man. And we look forward to what you're pumping out video-wise in the future, Totesy. Thanks for putting this together, uh, keeping us connected. And, And, man, you did just incredible stuff. And I haven't even seen it yet. How's that for knowing and understanding your greatness? Love it. And thank Appreciate you, it. And, Mike, uh, I don't know how many stories you pumped out, but it seemed like uh, I, I get a little bit messed up because you'll drag up some stuff from, like, eight months ago, and then you'll pop it in there again. Um, so it's a mixture of new and old. Is that what you do? Yeah, it's evergreen. It's like a oh, it's evergreen. Oh, okay. Not deciduous. I'll give you one weird thing about being a newspaper reporter. Like, so you hear a song, right? And it's a song somebody wrote 50 years ago, and everybody still thinks it's a great song. But you write a newspaper article, and basically they're like, "Yeah, okay, what do you got for me tomorrow?" So sometimes yeah. I have to. If I did something good, I want it to be yeah. like a song that you know people pull out and, and listen to all the time. Yeah. Well, it would be an LP, I guess, right? Uh, <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, it would be something that uh, you can listen to. And then, like all the hot moms did back in the 70s, you, you take it and you melt it on the stove and turn it into an ashtray. You ever see that one? I do not. That must yeah. have been a Canadian. <laughs> well, I think it was. The, the, the hot hippie moms uh, in the neighborhood would take mostly the 45s. And then they'd melt them, and then they could curve them a little bit, and they'd make those into ashtrays. Very nice. We had the uh, wine bottle candles. Oh, uh, that, 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 my mom that was macrame wicker. <laughs> <laughs> we lost totes. Look, yeah, I, we, I'm not uh, following. Look, we, we worked together, I think, like rows of teeth. Uh, some of them rotted, a little bit yellowed, uh, need to be cleaned a little more often than we probably did, but... Uh, a wonderful time with you guys on, on Rinky Dinking this year. I hope the people out there enjoyed even just a smidge of what we put forth. 
because uh, we put an awful lot of effort into this every week. Uh, not not true. Uh, and uh, I know we aggrandize uh, Totsi, but this doesn't happen without his uh, technological wizardry. And uh, I appreciate everything you guys did, and I appreciate you guys. And I guess we'll reconvene on election night and weigh in on that. No, yeah, probably I, not. I, I do want to hear the the American citizen and how he voted. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The rinky no. dinking political panel. <laughs> <laughs> no, when uh, when information hits, uh, I, I'm always available, and I'm sure you guys are too to to hook up and and give our thoughts on whatever just transpired. So until then, uh, you guys all be well and and keep keep on trucking, keep on. Yo. And now the end is near, and so I face the final curtain. My friend, I'll say it clear, I'll state my case, of which I'm certain. I've lived. A life that's full I traveled each and every highway And more, much more than this I did it my 